God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Well, welcome to another episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. Bob's holding some sort of psychedelic mushroom that he's shaking like a percussion instrument. This is a percussion instrument from Africa. It's called a Tweedledee. A Tweedledee? Yeah, it goes with the Tweedledums, which I um, don't have. I do have the Snake Charmer, though. Should we start off the episode with a little Snake Charmer? Yeah, let's get it going. Welcome to another episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. Much like the snake in the basket, we will rise slowly before we strike. Should we just get right into the Beatles? I'd love to. I watched uh I watched almost the entire second episode last night. Had a good time. Uh what would you like to say about it? Of course, Bob's talking about the new Peter Jackson documentary called Get Back, which is a very immersive deep dive into a couple of weeks in the life of the Beatles in winter of nineteen sixty nine as they are embarking on writing and recording what would become Let It Be which wasn't their last album. It was their last released album. This project was generally considered not great, and so they made Abbey Road. Then they broke up. Then they put out Let It Be. So what are your thoughts about Get Back? Um, I, in, I've been enjoying it. Obviously, as a songwriter, it's cool to watch those guys like bring in these ideas that are kind of half-baked and trying to figure out like it's exciting to see that because you're like, oh right. yeah, that's just that's the same way I write songs, right? Um, it's interesting to see the dynamics there between Paul and the band. I mean, John Lennon's check the fuck out. Uh, he's contributing very little at at least during that while they were filming that he was record he was gener he just wasn't bringing very much stuff in now other than the material other than the songs he wrote yeah but uh, he hardly has anything on on uh, on let it be well he has one after 909 he has sucks dig a po- dig a pony sucks what huh across the universe is one of the greatest songs ever that might even be the best song on the I record. I didn't say that song sucked. That song was great. But those other two, one after 909 and I Dig a Pony, both suck a big Well, like, you're orange. dead wrong about that. But that's three songs. George contributed two, so that's five. Those suck. How many songs are on the record? There's probably six more songs I mean mine. False. I mean mine is the worst song of all time. The whole There's so much bullshit on that record. The only songs that are good are Across the Universe, and then the rest are all Paul. Get back. Uh, I've got long a feeling two road. of us. No, I got. A I've got a feeling either two of us. Long I got a feeling that song's. I got a feeling that song is. Oh, dude, very pedestrian. Don't let me down. Isn't a great. Is a great song. And don't let me down is. That's John. I don't think so. It's definitely John, dude. Believe me, I believe me. I know this for a fact. All right. Well, that song is good. So, all right. John has two good songs on the record. Paul has three. The rest suck. It's it, dude compared to Abbey Road, which is a straight up masterpiece. Maybe their best record is Abbey Road. Okay. 
There's not a bad track on the entire record. Do you like the song Maxwell's Silver Hammer? I do. Well, it's wild to me that you don't like Dig a Pony, but you like Maxwell's Silver Hammer. But that's fine. Each his own. Yeah. I mean, I Dig a Pony is like, okay. All I want is you. That song is fucking gnarly, dude. It's awesome. Yeah, but they say that same thing way better in lots of other songs. All I want is you. Yeah. Uh, because the world is round, it turns me on. Yeah. That's John. I want you. That's John. I too. want you so bad. Two songs from Abbey yeah. Road, both John. Abbey Road, they say, th- I know. And they say it way better than that stupid I Dig a Pony song. Yeah, it's got one good line that does not make a good song. Now, Maxwell Silver Hammer, try to write a song like that. I dare you. I love the song, but that's one that that's one that pe- most people point to as songs that they don't like. I love. There's only like a couple of Beatles songs I don't like, and they're they're like the kind of nonsense white album songs, like Revolution Nine, or you know, Why Don't We Do It in the Road, which I even like that song. I love I love that song. Dig it. That's just bullshit throwaway. Yeah, I mean, mine is bullshit, dude. That's just them. That's just them trying to appease George, or maybe George was in the studio, like because because Paul had already said bye bye. Who knows why that how that song got on there? Yeah, I mean, he at that time he was getting about two cuts a two cuts a record, and those were his two. I know, know, but on Abbey Road, he's got fucking what Sun King and Here Comes the Sun. Maybe those are on killer. Abbey Road. <clears throat> no, on Abbey Road, he has the song something something in the way she moves. That's fucking George and, Harrison. So good. That's George Harrison, and Here Comes the Sun. Sun King is John, but Here Comes the Sun is George. Those are great songs. I think Here Comes the Sun might be the best song on Abbey Road. Well, Although there, that because that song one, is you close. Would, once again, me. Come together versus Here Comes the Sun? No. That's no competition. That's Muhammad Ali versus a tiny man. I'm not a big come together guy. Okay. I think something is better than come together. In fact, come together was the B side of something. Something was something was George's first A side in the Beatles. That was the first song they were like, okay, you get the first single. I love something. That's a great song. Yeah. A lot of people are saying that the documentary is boring. That's been a a pretty common criticism of mostly non musician types. Here's what they could have left out. They there's. Maybe three hours of them doing covers. No, don't want to see it. Don't care. Don't want to hear you do another Chuck Berry. Don't want to hear you do another Elvis Presley song. Leave all that shit off the dock. So boring. The thing that I take away from that is it's amazing to me how many songs they know. Like the big takeaway for me is like these are some dudes who are extremely musical, like maybe not the best musicians in the world, except for maybe Paul. But they know a lot of songs, and it's like that's how you get good at writing songs. Is you know a lot of songs, you you get inside of them, and you know how they work. You know, then you can start writing them. The thing I kind of got out of it was how good they are as a band, and how yeah, they're great together as a band. How like important like Ringo Starr, and how important George Harrison, and how important them kind of working those songs out together was like for just the sound of them and and. I don't know, man. They're amazing. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're not like, you know, you're a musician. I'm I'm not. I'm a songwriter. I barely can play instruments. So you're coming at it from a different perspective. But 
I think they're all better actual musicians than I am. Um, I mean, of course, Paul McCartney's just such a fucking monster. He can play anything. His bass playing is as good as anybody that's ever played bass. His piano playing's really good. His guitar yeah, like playing is great. Playing. Yeah. I mean, his drumming's good. His theory, musical theory, just everything. The guy's a monster. Yeah. He was the best musician in the Beatles, for sure. But all the rest of the guys could play. Like, I mean, all that fucking work in Hamburg, you just are going to get good. They were just a good band that played well together. Like, yeah. And obviously, you know, after that, after they broke up, you can see how, you know, apart, they weren't as good as they were together. They were still good apart, but never as good as they were together. The best records they made solo were just the first couple after the Beatles. And most of those songs would have been Beatles songs, you know? Right. So it's like their strongest efforts were really written even when they were still together. How about that one where they where John Lennon's playing Jealous Guy, but it's completely different words? Yeah, it's a song called Child of Nature. That was one of the my re- so Paul wrote a song called Mother Nature's Son. They had a cool little rivalry where they were trying to write each other's songs. Like Paul wrote Penny Lane, John wrote Strawberry Fields Forever. You know, they were playing that game. And and he wrote a song called Child of Nature because Paul wrote a song called Mother Nature's Son. And Jealous Guy, it's, so that became Jealous Guy, which Jealous Guy is so much better. I love the lyrics for that. The original lyrics, I had a dream about Marrakesh and that dream was you or something. I was like, oh my God, that just made me want to write a song when I heard that. Yeah. And I was like, oh wait, this is Jealous Guy, isn't it? Yeah, it that weird. ended up on Imagine. How about when he's working out the chords for fucking Let It Be, and they're just fucking discussing shit in the background? Nobody has any idea that that's Let It Be. I know so they're asking nice. them like they're asking them like really technical questions. Like, do you want us to, you know, do you want us to do the documentary? Blah, blah. How do you want the documentary to look? And Paul's just kind of got that look in his eye. He's no, no, they're, the he's they're discussing it with John John Lennon. And then oh. he's playing that in the background. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's the whole segment there where he writes he writes get back because John's late and he's just sitting there playing those yeah. chords and Ringo and That's Paul cool. and George are just sitting there kind of watching him and he's doing the dummy lyrics and some of them even made it and you can see he's like gets through a verse and a chorus and George and Ringo are like, well, that song's pretty good. That's a good one. How about Ringo Starkey coming in and fucking going, hey, I thought of this last night. I'd like to be under the sea and an octopus's garden and george is like yeah that's a pretty good song dude and he comes over and helps him write the fucking whole middle part and then of course doesn't get any credit it's just ringo starkey as the writer they're just throwing bones at each other man they had to have been making so much fucking publishing money well there's that whole segment where they bought they were buying up catalogs so they buy that catalog of four thousand songs but that's their own songs no no they bought a catalog of like four thousand because uh Paul talks about the song Carolina Moon. He's like, that was my uncle's favorite song. He used to get, try to get me to sing it when I was a kid. They, they, they're like, Apple was like buying a bunch of publishing. Oh. They still do it. Paul McCartney owns like most of the college fight songs and stuff. They got in the way into publishing. Oh, I thought they were talking about their own songs that they had bought. Maybe they part of what they bought was their own songs. Too. It included Lennon McCartney. Yeah. And they're like, that's so much money. And Paul's like, ah, no, it's a, it was a good deal. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what the number was. It sounded like they were like because of Apple that they were kind of 
they weren't like cash rich maybe i mean they all had houses obviously they all had money but maybe i mean they obviously weren't as rich as they are today when they bought that catalog when george came in they're like hey do you want to see uh the list of songs you own one percent of and he was like no not really <laughs> he's like nah i'm good how about fucking ringo starkey just fucking dead-eyed throughout that whole thing just having to fucking sit there and play drums and just like watching the fucking money train kind of roll off the track yeah i mean and then he, he and do? then he goes out and makes the most successful record of any of the beatles right after the beatles i think he has the only like number one hit right after that right i don't know bigger than the song imagine Bigger than the song, maybe I'm amazed. I'm just saying, like, of the of the Beatles solo records, he has the only hit of the bunch right out of the gate. What do you think about the criticism that people are saying that it's boring? Well, it it's too long. Like, like I said, I'm all about show me all the stuff where they're writing the songs, show me all the stuff where they're interacting with each other. But I got real tired of listening to them jam, like the jamming stuff. Uh, when they're jamming on other people's songs got super boring yeah like just get me get me to the part where they're writing the songs i mean i get it but that's what the hamburg days were those hamburg days were like seven hours of them playing covers yeah but I so that's what you're I, seeing come through. i'll tell you what it made me want to do it made me want to like watch the movie let it be yeah which i don't even know what that is is it just the concert i think it's pretty hard to find no, it's a film. It's a film that culminates with the concert. That's what the project ended up becoming. Instead of like a live show in front of people, it became like, well, it, they were going to do it on a boat, and then they decided to do it on top of the studio. And the the film, I think, was pretty bleak. I think it's pretty hard to find. Like you can probably find like clips of it and shit on YouTube. Yeah, I'm I'm not finding it anywhere. Yeah, I don't think it's distributed in the normal channels. It's too bad. Now you have 10 hours of basically, it's basically just what we're watching. It's just edited down to 90 minutes. Yeah, I haven't watched, I'm I'm in the, thir I'm in the third one and uh, I haven't gotten to the, to the rooftop concert yet. I love when Billy Preston comes in. Everything immediately levels up, which I think is pretty fun. Oh, check this out. There are, they're putting out Let It Be special edition release. Mm, nice i wonder if that's the probably just the that's just the album though well i'm not sure we really landed this beatles segment but let me segue out of this and thank some patrons because we're caught up on emails or rather we're behind on emails i'm home from tour finally kind of come up for air so i want to say thanks to a couple of patrons doug holm became a patron thank you doug christopher pixley Oh, wait, no, that's simply an email. Christopher didn't become a patron. Christopher, it's time to become a patron, buddy, unless you already are, in which case, thank you. Yeah, Pixley, what are you doing? Colleen Walsh became a patron. Joanne Kopecky. John Hellborn. Joni Washburn. And Patrick Fogarty increased their pledge. So thank you to all of you lovely people who support the show. It's very cool of you. We preach. We preach. I got some emails here, too. You want to read some emails? Yeah. One of them's a little controversial. Are we, are we wanting to step into the minefield today? I guess. I don't care. I mean, 
Dude, that one episode where I was talking about unborn babies, Jesus. Like, I would love to erase that from the history books. That was like my least favorite I'm okay, you're okay episode of all time. Yeah. <clears throat> well. This but you said somebody somebody wrote in and said they really loved it. Yeah. And then, you know, that there's where you run into the problem. It's the same problem with my other podcast. The same problem with fucking anybody. Someone doesn't like it. Someone likes it. What do you do with that? All we can do is just keep having conversations that are honest, putting them out, let people decide for themselves. If the flavor is too strong, uh, you got to you gotta put the sandwich down, then put it down. I just feel like every once in a while, I get in this thing where I'm like, think I'm being funny. It's something my dad does that I really don't like about my dad. Like my dad's always trying to do jokes and it's, it's, it's cool. Like I like when I'm being silly and being funny. Don't get me wrong. That's the sauce right there. But every once in a while, I get in this thing where I think I'm I'm trying to do something. It's like when I'm playing poker and I have a bad hand, but I'm just betting like crazy. And then I lose it all. That's what it felt like. That episode felt like I have a bad hand. I wasn't being funny, but I was just betting it all on some thing that the this premise. And then at the end of it, it was just shitty. And I was just like, ugh. I just want to erase all that. And I mean, that's the thing about having a conversation in public. Like sometimes you fail. Sometimes you're crazy. I felt crazy. Like listening to them, like, who is that guy? I don't even know who that guy is. Anyways, I didn't like it. I would prefer to have more serious conversations and let the funny happen naturally. I would prefer that, but yeah, I would I'm only to, one of two. I would prefer to be funny all the time. And then do this. Hear this sound all the time in the background. Ka-ching. Ka-ching. I'm not capable of being funny all the time. It's not a skill I possess. So you're it pretty, would be an exercise in futility. You're pretty good at being funny when you, when, you, when you have an audience of people who are ready to laugh. Like when you get regular people around you that aren't me, you can whip up some laughs, dude. But but with me, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I don't laugh so much or I don't know what it is, but I've seen you whip up. You whip people into a laughy frenzy when you're around people. Yeah. It's nice. Well, this question ain't going to be funny. So do you want me to skip it or what? What do you want Fuck me to do? Fuck no. Let's hear this goddamn question. Who said it? This is Christopher Pixley. Oh, this is Pixley who still hasn't joined the Patreon? He either hasn't joined or he's already a patron. It's either one of the two. Okay. But I guess we had done an episode about kind of dancing around some of the trans stuff. Chappelle, blah, blah, blah. He says, Clint's question and Bob's response about a guy dressing up as a woman and going into the woman's restroom got me thinking, what's the big fucking deal? I don't know what kind of magical mysteries go on in there, but I have a wife and a daughter, and I'm not too concerned about a guy going into the women's restroom. On the other hand, I do have an idea what happens in men's restrooms, and I think a trans woman is much less safe in the men's room in some places than the women in the women's restroom would be with a dude in there. On balance, I think the argument uh, falls to letting people use whatever restroom they want. Christopher Pixley. Yeah, that's what I was saying when we were talking, which is if you're dressed up like a woman and you want to go use the women's restroom... Go use the women's restroom. 
the chance the chance that there's some dude that's going to dress up like a woman so he can get into a woman's restroom and do some devious shit i just don't i just don't see that happening i mean maybe maybe that's a thing but i've never it's not like i've, I've never heard of that i've only heard of people that are actually trans that just don't want to go into a guy's restroom in texas because there's a bunch of dickheads in there who will fucking beat them up or whatever right well if i'm playing devil's advocate and if christopher is really interested in what the problem is now i i'm fine with all this uh, listen i'm not going to die on the hill of a fucking bathroom people use whatever bathroom you want i don't really give a shit personally but if you're interested in what a lot of people in america are scared of or frustrated about I think it's two things. I think number one, it is the idea that someone might abuse this bending of rules for dubious reasons. Now, I think that's unlikely, less likely, rare, et cetera. I agree with you. I agree with Christopher. I think another problem though, again, if you're really interested in hearing what the big deal is, as the question is, as I think that <clears throat> I think that people who aren't as progressive thinking about the trans issue are looking at the world and the state of things and the seeming deconstruction of gender identities. And they're thinking about their kids. They're thinking about their impressionable grandkids. And I think they're seeing it as a slippery slope. And I think if they're, I think they're thinking, well, if it no longer matters if you're a man or woman to go into a, a men or woman's bathroom, they're thinking what's next. Now, are they right? Is history littered with, the slippery slope argument, people thinking that if we let gays marry, it's going to destroy the family, or if we let families have televisions, it's going to rot their kids' brains and video games cause violence. I'm on the correct side of all that. I don't. I think that all that stuff is hysterical. I think a lot of that stuff's paranoid shit. But again, I'm just answering the question. That's what the big deal is. The big deal is, you know, we're dealing with this with our daughter in second grade in Donaldson, Tennessee, where they're starting to have gender identity conversations with seven-year-olds. Now, I'm progressive. I'm liberal. I support trans people, etc. I'm not super stoked about the gender identity issue being talked about to my seven-year-old at second grade. So that's what the problem is. And it's got to get solved because the people that you disagree with in your life, they're your neighbors. You know, they're your they're your kids' friends' parents. And your kid's going to be talking to their kids, and we got to figure out a way to have conversations together where we disagree, where we advance an idea, where we push back, and where all of that's okay. Instead of, well, I'm not so sure that I want my kid talking about gender identity at seven years old. I'm telling you, Bob, there's someone out there right now that's calling me a turf or a transphobic person right now or a boomer, or whatever the fuck. We just had somebody in our, the school that my daughter goes to um, write an open letter to all the people that are on the email list for the school mm -hmm. um, about how they they have the same deal, where they're like, hey, we don't want this talked about with our kids. We just want them educated, and we're pulling our kid out of school. And like the school that I'm the school that my kid's going to is pretty liberal, pretty open-minded. And I think that this, that the parents that put their kids in the school, in the school that she's going to are pretty 
open-minded and and probably can can talk about that stuff with their kids like you you have no problem discussing any of that stuff with your daughter now the problem is you're going to a public school um transgender or gender identity for a, a very small minority of children is a very real thing and the problem is you know when you're fucking living in tennessee is that these parents who are either religious or stupid or whatever uh don't know how to talk to their kids about any of that shit and so that might be the only place where they can like hear something real about what they're going through and i think it's really important yeah it's a little it, it I, I mean, it's definitely not anymore. They're going to hear it all. It's all over television. It's all over the internet. It's all over TikTok. It's a big cultural thing right now. It's not something that's being squashed by the religious right. I think the religious right are upset because it's actually being sort of foisted in culture. Again, again, you're talking about like somebody who's got a computer, somebody who's got a fucking iPhone. Uh, not everybody does. Not everybody's on the internet. Um, I, I don't I think, think most people are on the internet. Okay, I'm just telling you there might be some kids who aren't. So my thing is like, yeah, if you want to talk about it, sure, talk about it. But here's the problem that I have with all of it. It's like, if you're going to talk about it, let's stick to the facts. And like, there's a lot of shit going on where people are like, well, I don't like this, so we're just going to make it this. No, if you're going to talk about the facts, talk about the facts. And I mean, when you see like a kid who, you know, their their identity doesn't match their sex, that's a real problem. That's a real thing. And my heart goes out to those kids. And I'm like, whatever it takes to help those kids needs, that needs to happen. Like the problem is when you get into middle school, the problem is there's a lot of kids who aren't that. There's a lot of kids who aren't transgender. And now they're being told, hey, gender's fluid, sexuality's fluid, you can be whatever you want to be, blah, blah, blah. Uh, chicks and dudes are the same or they're not the same or they can do anything that the other one can do. Like a bunch of bullshit. And that doesn't help anybody. And what it ends up doing is like, it just gives all this information. Like that's the information that I'm like, hey, no. That's a bunch of bullshit. So it's like, what's the bullshit and what's the real information? That's the problem, I think. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and I think, <clears throat> I think that most parents they they want to be able to have those conversations with their kids. They don't want it. They don't want the slant of whatever educational system. You know, they they don't want that. They don't want someone else telling their kids about it on either side of it. I agree. You know? I mean, I know that's true, but again. Because these, because the suicide rate for those kids is high, and those kids have been dealt such a poor hand, I'm like, I get that. Yeah, I, I don't want anybody telling me. But, but here's the thing: I'd rather have them tell, talk to my kid about this thing, and have them come talk to me about it, and, yeah. and. You know what I mean? It's it, unfortunately, that. unfortunately, it's like you know, putting the label on the paint. Don't eat the paint. Like that's not for most people. That's for a very tiny, tiny amount of people. But you got to put it on there for those t- 
tiny, tiny amount of people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm with all that. I mean, you can't protect your kid from everything in the world. And I, what I want more than anything is that my daughter to feel like there's an open line between her and I about whatever she encounters in the world. Hey, I heard that, you know, I heard that uh, I may not be a, I may, I may be a boy. Is that true? I would rather her talk to me about it because she's going to hear about all this stuff anyway. You know, she told me recently that uh, some family members of ours told her that that uh, that gay people can't marry each other. She said that so and so. She had mentioned it in the car with some family members, and one of her cousins said, <clears throat> "That's not true. Gay people can't get married." And my daughter appealed to the adult in the car and said, "I'm pretty sure gay people can get married. Can gay people get married?" And the adult in the car said, "No, they can't." So she came to us, my wife and I, about it, and it was just—it was nice. It was like, oh, they're wrong. Gay people can get married. They do it all the time. And uh, my wife's best friend is gay, and him and my daughter are close. They—they're not close, but they're buddies. And I was like, you know, Jacob, you know Jacob, he can get married. I was like, wouldn't it be weird if we told Jacob he couldn't get married? What kind of sense does that make? She knows Jacob's boyfriend and shit. All that's real easy for kids. And I'm just glad that even though she got some <clears throat> bad information on that issue, we were able to clear it up. And maybe that's what this is too. So so to answer Christopher's uh, quest, ultimate question, <clears throat> maybe it is no big deal. And if, 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 if making uh, cisgender straight guys like me uncomfortable or pushing back on what I consider normal is helpful for the kids that are really dealing with this, I'm happy to be uncomfortable to help them have conversations that open doors for them to feel uh to feel safe in society so there we go we landed we landed the plane dude we landed just in time just in time just in time because we got to get out of here this is a riveting episode a lot of beatles talk a lot of cultural gender identity talk dude those two things go so they go so good together it's like honey mustard it's like honey mustard dressing dude Nobody knew those things went together until they did it. And then until they now did, yeah. that became the most famous, most beloved dressing of the 90s. Dude, no one knew you could drink cow's milk until someone fucking did it. And they were like, hey, this didn't kill me. How many people drank or ate things that just killed them immediately? And the guy next to him was like, well, I guess we can't eat or drink that because it killed them. Everything. Everything the until the answer to that is everything. <laughs> People ate everything until it killed them, and then they kept eating it, and then eventually they stopped because they were dead. You can write in bobandclin at gmail.com. We'll read your email on the show if we uh, find it interesting. So make it interesting and short, but we do like hearing from you guys. And uh, you can support us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash letters I-O-K. We've got a couple of other podcasts. Bob's is called The Song Game. Mine's called Metal Up Your Podcast, and it's about Metallica. Dude, I just got real. I just got real comp. Got lounged? (laughs) But uh, way more lounged than I wanted to be, dude. I'm so lounged. This is way too lounged. Well, do me a favor and keep that lounge position as we squiggle squaggle into the old secret weekly. (laughs) 